This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom, it's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Proving that you don't have to be super to save National City. It's episode 385 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. I don't know about you, but I'm really enjoying this final season of Supergirl on the CW. And I'm so excited to get to talk to Ozzy Testify this week because it's going to be a big episode of Supergirl for her. This Tuesday, not only did she co-write the episode, of course, you've seen the Guardian teases, you know what's coming, I can't wait to dive in and talk to her about that a little bit, and just what this show's meant to her over the years. I also get to talk to author Lori Lee, who's got a new book coming out, is actually out already, called Paua and the Soul Stealer, which is really, really interesting. If you've got middle grade readers, I think they're really going to enjoy this, and I'll let her tell you why. Here coming up in a little bit. Also, some very interesting nerd news to tackle this week. You know I'm going to be talking about the big trailer of the week this week, the Hawkeye series. I'm excited. You're excited. We'll talk about Haley Atwell joining the Tomb Raider show. Also, why The Last Man is out on FX on Hulu. I'll give you my review of that. But first, let's dive into the world of Supergirl and talk to Ozzy Testify about what Kelly Olsen's got going on this week. That's next. On the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is David Hale from Supergirl. Now you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. 
There's been some big moments already in the final season of Supergirl on CW. Going to be another one coming up this Tuesday at 9 o'clock. It is going to be the return of Guardian, and it's going to be Ozzy Testify. That's right. Kelly Olsen debuts as Guardian. In this week's episode, I actually got a chance to talk to Ozzy about that big moment and this final season. So let's hear from Ozzy Testify about what's going on in this next episode of Supergirl. Let's dive right in. We've kind of seen Kelly question her strength and her place on the team a lot this season. Do you feel like the events of last season have been kind of keeping her from realizing all that she's capable of or maybe making her hesitant a little bit? I mean, I think it's true. It's tricky when you join a group of friends and don't realize they're all superheroes <laughs> and then come to find out that they are and your girlfriend's sister is Supergirl and, and, and how do you find your place in that? You know, I, she came to town to be there for her brother and, and kind of got thrown into this world. And so I think I like to believe that any self-reflective human being would, would hesitate and maybe feel a little bit unsure about joining the Super Friends. So for me, it felt really real. Like, you know, and, and it, you know, it could parallel me joining an existing show. You, you find your footing in it and you figure out where you kind of fit. That is absolutely true. You, you mentioned Alex. I love the relationship between her and Kelly. It's such an incredible one. I love how much they kind of help one another see their true potential. So how important has Alex been in Kelly finally reaching her true calling that we'll be seeing in this week's episode? It's interesting because I think... Alex has always been, and in the episodes preceding this, you know, with the helmet that her and Jimmy put together, like, their love is so healthy and aspirational for me. And, and Kyler, I think, even personally. We, we are so protective and love them so much and love their love so much. Kelly, you know, and, and the interesting thing about this episode is Kelly really stands in her own. And it's for the first time Alex doesn't get it, which we haven't seen because they show up for each other so perfectly every time. But what she does do, which is amazing, is she gets that she doesn't get it and listens and figures out a way to support her in the best way that works for her partner. And I think that's another more uncomfortable, more complicated version of being an incredible in an incredible partnership. And I was happy that we got to explore something that was a little bit more messy because that's just real life. You know, especially in an interracial relationship, like it's complicated. <laughs> That's going to be very interesting to see. I can't wait to see that. Now, speaking of this episode, you actually got to do something that not a lot of cast members on any show have ever done. You actually got to co-write the episode with, with Jay Holt, uh, Holtham. Yeah. And what was that experience like for you, especially in an episode where your characters featured so prominently? It was amazing. I did a month in the writer's room before. So I did 10 a.m. to 5 every single day. <laughs> which was incredible. I got to break the arc with our wonderful writers. So episode 9, 10, and then and this one, 12. And it was empowering, you know. And, and our showrunners really, like, let me have so much say in it. I went on the tech location scout with Ramsey. I got to have a say in casting and set design and prop approval. I mean, every part of it was so personal. It, it really does feel like this episode is like my baby. <laughs> And I got to say in my like design of my super suit, it, it really feels like it's such a personal uh, experience for me. Let's talk about the super suit for a second, because, I mean, we've seen the photos for they've been out for a while now of Kelly and her guardian mm -hmm. suit. And they were released well before the episode. I'm so excited to see mm -hmm. the suit in action, though. Did you ever think you'd actually get to suit up on this show at some point? And what was that moment like standing there with the team for the first time as Guardian? Yes, I did. It just it was a matter of when. And the suit design process was long because we had the luxury of the time. I was able to train with our stunt team because I had the luxury of time of knowing, you know, that this was coming. So for me, it was great because I was really prepared. You know, I didn't get injured, which I think I might be the only person who hasn't been injured because I had so much time to prep. Nice. 
And then the first day that I was in it, it was it was great. It's nerve-wracking, and we actually were filming on location. So there were a lot of uh, eyes on it, and I got nervous. And so, you know, it was – Nicole had her camera out and was recording me. Her and Jesse were recording me walking out for the first time, and, and Kyler would, you know – look over at me, you know, every couple takes and do a shoulder back nudge. And I would put, you know, so it's like just your friends reminding you of like the superhero stance and, and, and then learning to own that because you feel silly for a minute. You know, it's like not a normal activity to be in a super suit in the streets of Vancouver fighting a villain that's like going to be CGI'd in. You know? <laughs> it's like just getting comfortable and owning that power is an, is an experience that I was having as well as, you know, Kelly was having at the same time, which was cool. That is very, very cool. Now, I think you mentioned David Ramsey. Of course, we'll see John Diggle in this episode as well because he was directing. Yeah. What was it like working with him on the episode? And what kind of energy does he bring to the set? It's amazing. And, and Ramsey and I made an effort to, we would do every Saturday dinners for like a month <laughs> before we started filming because he was shooting other shows uh, up there and just became really good friends and, and were true partners in this experience, especially for me because it was such an emotional episode. I, you know, to be able to trust him uh, and work with him was such a gift. And honestly, it felt almost like a student film because, you know, like we have a scene in, in my apartment where it's just him and I. There was a lot of scenes where it's just him and I. And it's like me going over, you know, doing notes with the, making sure the dialogue's okay and doing a pass and then him running to check the camera and then both of us getting our marks and doing the scene and then running back behind the monitor to watch to make sure everything looks good. And so it felt like, it felt tiny. It didn't feel like we were shooting a huge show because we were both kind of covering so much, which was, it felt very intimate. Or, you know, like we would, I'd be like, oh, I don't like the way that line sounds. And we would talk about it and adjust it. Or we'd run back and watch the framing and we'd want to change it. And it, it really did feel like a, a small project because it was it was the two of us in most of the scenes alone um, and, and co-writing and, and directing. So it was, it was amazing. It was, we really got such full control of it and that was exciting and empowering it was an incredible experience i don't know how anyone can go back after, after that speaking of incredible experiences i want to back up for a little bit because there were some great moments between kelly and cara this season especially with everything going mm -hmm. on in the heights in those episodes a few episodes ago do you, do you kind of feel like kelly kind of helped supergirl realize her voice is just as powerful as any other of her abilities yeah and i and i think in this episode specifically it's you know i think it's tricky when you when you make someone you know the hero and all the pressures on them as opposed to and it's dangerous and we see that in our own society where like when you give someone so much power to save you quote unquote it doesn't empower the people that they're trying to help and so i think that more than ever like being a hero is empowering others i think is is a lesson that kelly helps supergirl realize that it's not about just saving people it's about being an ally and and helping people empower themselves. No doubt about that. And I that. think that's a, it's a slight but powerful shift that she, she goes through over these episodes. No doubt about that. Uh, Ozzy, before I let you go, even though there's still plenty of episodes left this season, we know that the end is coming, that this, this season is the final season. You've been such a big part of the show for several seasons now. What are you going to miss the most about the series and about playing Kelly Olsen? Kelly is, you know, the most incredible character that I, I've played in terms of she's the woman that I want to be. She's, she's, I like to say she's me on my very best day. And so I'm going to, I just love her. And, and it's just like to play a, a woman who you admire so much and then to be able to turn around and then play a superhero all in one character is incredible. And I think I've never been able to do something that her, she specifically means so much to so many young girls. And I feel so honored 
to be able to do that. And that means so much to me. And I'm going to miss that the most. I think, you know, being able to meet the fans and hear how much she's impacted them, that feels like such an incredible gift that I've been able to be a part of and, and, and that their response to her has meant something on a deeper level feels like the dream in being a, an artist. So I think that, I think playing someone that I admire so much and then being able to be a part of something that has an impact, a positive impact. And you can see her guardian moment this Tuesday at, 10, at 9 o'clock Eastern Time on the CW on Supergirl. It's Ozzy Testify. Thank you so much for joining me this week. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And yeah, you've seen the pictures of the suit just like I have. It looks incredible. Man, I cannot wait for that big moment to see her right there with the team and, and Kelly Olsen as Guardian. I think that's going to be great. Just a shame it took till the final season to have it happen. So make sure you're watching Supergirl this Tuesday at 9 p.m. on The CW. That's going to do it for my interview with Ozzy Testify about Supergirl. Up next, going to be talking about the series premiere of Why the Last Man from FX on Hulu. That's next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Jessica Lucas from Gotham, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. After what feels like years in the making, it is finally here, the premiere of Why the Last Man on FX on Hulu. Actually, the first three episodes have dropped on FX on Hulu. But here in my review, I want to do... Spoilers for episode one, but I don't want to spoil the other two episodes just in case you haven't had a chance to binge through those ones yet before the new episode comes out on Monday, September the 20th. Now, this story, in case you're not familiar with it or you haven't had a chance to to see it yet, it's basically kind of simple. It's a post-apocalyptic world where everyone with a Y chromosome, or every being, I should say, with a Y chromosome, dies and York is the only surviving male on the planet and that means you know a search for answers obviously so it's a world made up of all women and him that is kind of where we're at so in what the one thing I'll say about this episode again we're going to do spoilers for the first episode not for the next two that have also been released what this really is at its core in the first episode anyway is it starts out as a drama series, basically. There are a lot of, there's a lot of character building in this first episode, there, and it leads to, it, there's a reason for that in the episodes to come. It really helps hammer the emotional aspect of some of these moments and the big moment of the show. It helps to build on that because it, it, it drives some of these, the female characters that survive. It drives them in a way that it otherwise wouldn't if they don't do all that character building in this first episode. It's like the difference between, you know, saying someone had a family or saying someone had problems in their marriage and things like that. But but actually seeing it in this episode and seeing what some of these women go through with the people in their lives, not just husbands and boyfriends, but, you know, it's fathers and sons and and coworkers and things like that. To hear about it after the fact, they could have easily jumped into this series and just gone, here was the event, here's where we're going now. But instead, and you, you, this is one of those things where you, you'll see some people criticize, oh, this is a throwaway episode. No, it absolutely isn't. This episode is the foundation for the emotion and some of the choices that are going to be made throughout the rest of this first season. This was a completely necessary episode, like Jennifer, Senator Jennifer Brown's character played by Diane Lane brilliantly, by the way. You see what happens with her and the president. You see what happens with her and her, of course, soon-to-be ex-husband. You see what happens 
with her kids, Hero and York. And of course, York being her son sets up something huge for her, no doubt about that. But you get to see how that plays out for her in this first episode and how the aftermath of that affects her in the next episode and the episodes to come as well. It also sets up something with the president's daughter, too, by the way, because there's some friction between her and Senator Rent. You can call her, give her whatever title you like. Is that a congresswoman, senator? I, I, well, I said I wasn't going to spoil it, didn't I? So I'm not going <laughs> to. But it really sets up her character nicely as well. It sets up York's character as well. Another character that, that really hit home for me as far as what happened here was Nora Brady, played by Marin Ireland. And, and I'm a, just a Marin Ireland fan anyway. I think she's very underrated. And I think she's really good in the moments that we could see her in this show. But I think the, the character they set up to be the most intrigued, intriguing character is Agent 355. That's what we're gonna. That's what that's what she's called in the comic. Okay, so that, that if if you haven't read the comic, that's what that's what her name ultimately is. You don't really hear it in that first episode, and that's Ashley Roman's character. And she's she's like very she's a very shadowy. She's an undercover agent of some kind. We we don't really know exactly what her role is, but she's a dangerous woman. First of all. Second of all, it seems like she gets the most high-profile and, and important assignments. And, you know, she thinks she's going to be an undercover Secret Service agent. And then this happens. And, of course, the, the person that gave her was going to give her original orders was a man. So she might never know what her original orders were supposed to be in the first place. So there's just a lot of intrigue surrounding this character. And she's, she's a good soldier, for the lack of a better way of putting it. So, and of course, if you've seen the next two episodes, you, you, you know what kind of happens with her and, and how she, how she starts her next part of this journey. Or if you're a fan of the comic, you kind of know where it's going to go as well. I'm not, I'm not going to reference the comic too much because I, the more and more I've been thinking about stuff like this in adaptations, you're going to have changes. I quite frankly want changes. I don't want to see exactly what happened in the comic play out on the screen. And I've said this before, I've read the comic. Okay, I want to see how this interpretation goes through. That that's something that I, I think is really really neat. That you don't get the you know not every comic gets this opportunity. And and while there are you know there's certain key moments you want to play out exactly like the comics, right? But not necessarily, especially in a show like this, you want to be surprised. You want to have some changes. But I will say one thing that this series does extremely well is just just by the trailer and just by the series description, you know what's coming, right? You know that all the men on the planet are just going to drop dead at any second. However, the tension leading up to that moment in the first episode, I thought played off brilliantly. The anxiety was there, and you don't even really know these characters yet, and you might not even like some of them, but you know what's coming. And I don't know if it was empathy or anxiety or maybe it's because, you know, quite frankly, with what we've got going on in the world world right now, I think that, you know, a lot of us are living with some sort of anxiety on a day-to-day basis. So maybe it kind of feeds into that as well. So knowing that this event was going to happen and and all of a sudden people were just going to start dropping dead left and right, that and, and seeing animals die little by little, like rats and things, and the clues being there. 
that really added to the anxiety as well. And I got to say, Eliza Clark, who is the writer, executive producer of this series, does such a fantastic job of crafting this thing in the early going. And and again, you could argue, I guess, you know, you know, drama, throwaway episode. I know not at all, not one single bit. As far as I'm concerned, this was a this first episode was everything, especially in like, like, like take Hero's character, for example. She's the daughter of the senator and the, uh, the congresswoman, whatever you want to call her. And she, obviously there's some issues there, but she's got some, I mean, deep personal issues. And what she does in that first episode where she basically, again, I said I was going to do spoilers for the first episode. She kills her boyfriend and I, you know, is going to get away with it. Clearly, because he would have died anyway, first of all. And second of all, the cop that was there, that she she thought she was caught, she thought she was dead to rights. Not so much, because again, this event happens and down he goes. So she's got to obviously deal with that. And how to, where does she go from there? And it's, you know, the soul searching of, of, of you know, what kind of a person she wants to be sort of thing. And then you've got Yorick, who it's an it's interesting that the one man that survives is a down on his luck magician, right? I thought that that was very it's humorous in a certain way. And the way that he presents himself is I don't want to call him a screw up cuz I don't think he's a screw up. I think he's a genuinely nice dude. He's a passionate guy and you know, he just wants to live his life and be happy. And, and it, it's he seems like a very simple person whose life just became the most not simple of anyone else on the planet. So being able to tell that story and again, watching his story play out in the first episode sets that up. So I think that this this series as a whole not only is going to be really intriguing, but was set up really, really well if you want to look at it that way, quite frankly. So I'm just really, really psyched with how this first episode, actually the first few episodes of Why the Last Man worked out with FX on Hulu. Of course, the first three episodes streaming right now, you can get the next episode Monday, September the 20th, every Monday after that as well. Watch this show. Let me know what you think because I really thought the first episode was very, very key in telling especially the next couple of episodes and going forward, I think that that'll play out more and more as well as we get to see this thing through to the end. That's going to do it for my somewhat spoiler-filled review of the premiere of Why the Last Man on FX on Hulu. Up next, going to be talking about a brand new book from author Lori Lee. It's Paua and the Soul Stealer. We'll get all the details on this middle-grade novel next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing 
to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. My name is uh, Liam Sharp. I draw Wonder Woman. I co-founded Mayfire, and I'm a dear and close friend of the Down and Nerdy podcast. So if you're looking for some little spooky for your kids to read, like a little pre-Halloween type vibe, Paua and the Soul Stealer looks like a pretty good choice from Rickordian Presents and Disney Hyperion. I actually got a chance to talk to author Lori Lee about this new story and find out what these what makes this such a great story and what makes these characters so intriguing. Let's hear what she had to say. So, Lori, I love Pahua. It's certainly not your, she's certainly not your typical young girl. I think that makes her so, that's what makes her so special, though. So what would you think, what would you say, though, makes her such a relatable character? Pahua is a reluctant type of hero. She doesn't really think of herself as a hero at all. She's actually felt for much of her life like an outsider, um, not just because of how she looks, but because she's got this ability to see spirits so she's a bit awkward she's a bit introverted she's shy and she's never quite fit in at school so the way she copes with it is by imagining that she's someone else that her differences wouldn't set her apart in a way that makes her feel less than and she pretends to be a superhero she pretends to be a secret agent she pretends to be a warrior on a quest and this and this becomes her shield but even though she's got these wild imaginings about being different in extraordinary and often magical ways, she really just wants to find somewhere where she belongs. And I think that desire for friendship, for connection, and figuring out where you fit is something that a lot of kids can relate to. No doubt about that. Now, obviously, a big reason that Pahua is on the journey that she's on is because of her brother. So talk a little bit about that family bond and what makes it so strong for her. So Pahua comes from a single-parent home. Her parents are um, separated, and her family or her mother has moved her away from much of the Hmong community, so she doesn't have that that avenue of support. And then her mother works quite a bit to support her and her brother, so she is essentially her brother's main caretaker, and they're together essentially 24-7. And so they form a very close-knit, very tight relationship between the two of them. And so when he goes missing, which is essentially her fault because she unleashes this ghost from her local haunted bridge and the ghost ends up stealing her brother's soul. Um, she, is, of course, feels guilty and responsible and she takes it upon herself to venture into the spirit realm and to save him. So, Lori, I'll admit I didn't really know almost anything about Hamon culture before reading this book. How important was it for you to incorporate that into the story, and what is it about this culture that you feel is going to appeal to young readers so much? Well, I am Hmong, so I grew up within the culture. I think what I related to most as a kid was the tradition of oral storytelling, which is what we call Danite. And they were, you know, folk tales passed on by mouth, you know, generation to generation. And they were the kind you might expect, like the ones that tell us a moral or a lesson. They were the kind that explained how the world works. Like there's a lot of, there's a long creation story. There's a lot of stories that explain um, natural elements and the like. And then there were just a lot of ghost stories, which I absolutely loved. There were stories, you know, um, about vengeful spirits and about demons that wore the faces of tigers. And those were the ones that really stuck with me, that really stayed with me. Like I developed just an absolute love of the speculative, of the creepy, of the fantasy, and that what really inspired me to like um, become a writer myself. And then the Hmong in general, though, they are a ethnic minority that originated um, in southern China and migrated 
south to throughout parts of Southeast Asia and then into the world because I am from Wisconsin. And as we all know, Sumi Lee, who is also Hmong, is from Minnesota. Yeah, right next door. Um, so you're like neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> and she's a Lee. There you go. There you go. Absolutely. I love that. So I think that spirit cats might actually be my favorite cats now after meeting Miv in this story. He's just one of the characters <laughs> that adds so much great humor to the story. Did you have another favorite character, though, that you just loved or that you found yourself smiling at as you were writing this? There's me, of course. He's got a great sense of humor because he's a cat and he'll tell you like it is. I also really enjoyed writing Zhang, who is the shaman warrior in training who Pahua meets very early on because she just became a really great foil for Pahua. Pahua has this undiscovered innate ability of shaman abilities that she learns about. And when Zhang meets her, you know, Zhang has been training to be this warrior for several years, much of her young life. And so she meets this girl who's just naturally talented. And there's a lot of tension at first between the two of the girls. And they were just a lot of fun to write, like their their budding friendship and the way the two grow over the course of the book. That was such a great dynamic. Now, you mentioned how Pahua is kind of a, is kind of a reluctant hero we actually see her make a couple of pretty pretty big mistakes in the story of course accidentally but but still mistakes nonetheless now do you think that learning from these actions and kind of dealing with those consequences is going to ultimately make her a better or even more relatable hero oh for sure yeah i mean like the importance of um learning from your mistakes and not just learning from them but also um acknowledging you know, that it's okay to make mistakes is a lesson that I feel like even many adults are still trying to grapple with. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that will resonate for, for a lot of kids. Absolutely. Now, I was looking at your bio, and it says that you love to write about magic, and it certainly shows. There's no doubt about that. There's certainly been, of course, no <laughs> shortage of stories, though, written about magical elements. How hard is it as a writer to come up with unique concepts and different presentations of just magic itself? I'm also always kind of in awe of authors who come up with something that feels truly original. Like for the magical system in Pahua is just largely inspired by uh, Hmong shamanism. Animism is the belief that all things have a spirit from nature to animals to some inanimate objects. Like for example, the Hmong do believe in a hearth spirit which is like a little fire demon, essentially, um, that protects the home as a guardian. So a lot of that I just pulled, you know, from my own culture. And then I just put, I embellished and, you know, I put a different spin on some of these things. And yeah, fortunately, I had a really rich background from which to pull inspiration from. And what's good is you're probably introducing people to stories that, like myself that I was not familiar with from the culture that I think are just, like you said, are just really, really neat. I hope so. I mean, there is, the Hmong are an ethnic minority even within, you know, Asia. Um, so it's very rare when I come across anybody who knows who the Hmong are. Yeah, and hey, hey, I Googled it once Once I started reading the story and started learning a little bit more about the culture. So hey, it worked on me. I'm sure to work on others as well. <laughs> Lori, before I let you go, I can't imagine that Pahua's story is going to be over after just this one novel. Are there any plans for what we might see from her next? Yes, there are a couple more books in the pipeline. To not spoil anything, Pahua does have to face the consequences of what happens in the first book. 
and she's just got a lot of adventuring and self-discovery ahead of her. She's very young, so she's got a lot to learn, and hopefully readers will want to go on the journey with her. I love how you said a couple books, so that should give people even more reason to want to dive in, because this story ain't over anytime <laughs> soon, and it starts with Pahua and the Soul Stealer, available now from Rick Rorian Presents and Disney Hyperion author Lori Lee. Thank you so much, not just for sharing this great culture with us, but for joining me this week. I appreciate it. I appreciate it, too. Thank you so much for having me. And these really are some unique characters. There's a lot of good laughs to it. And and seriously, this Hamon culture is super, super interesting. And I think that you, it, you'll get hooked on some of the elements of this culture that you probably didn't know about when you're reading this thing. And your kids are reading it, too, because it's I think it's super interesting for kids as well. So make sure you're getting Paua and the Soul Stealer wherever books are sold. That's going to do it for my interview with author Lori Lee. Up next, speaking of reading, time to talk about comics. It's what we're reading next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is comic writer Ollie Masters, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Might have to rename this the Jeff Lemire segment of the show, because whenever we're reading on, it's time for what we're reading. And, and apparently I just like Jeff Lemire, because I've got another Jeff Lemire story to kick things off. This time from Image Comics, it's primordial number one. And Jeff Lemire, of course, reading, writing this one. Andrea Sorrentino on the art here. Dave Stewart on the colors, Steve Wands on the letters. And yeah, going to have some spoilers mixed into this one since the book is already up. But the story kind of looks at a world where both the U.S. and the Soviet Union kind of abandon the space race abruptly in 1959 after a couple of perceived failures. Now, you flash forward in the story to 1961. You meet Dr. Donald Pembroke, who's an MIT grad. He's a space nerd. You'll find that out as the issue goes on. He kind of thinks he's going to Cape Canaveral to restart the space race, so he's really, really excited. And then he basically is a glorified janitor when he gets there, and he's he's kind of upset. He doesn't understand that why he's you know digging for scraps for the military. Then he uncovers a very strange piece of evidence about two primates on the last mission. And this is where the art really, really plays in well, and things really start to get freaky, because this is clearly the beginning of a mission of his own to figure out what happened why no one seems to want to help, and why this is all being covered up in the first place. So, basically, this is a sci-fi mystery genre kind of story, and that's not something we see very often from Jeff Lemire, so it's very, very exciting. Of course, not uncharted territory for him, right? But this is not a genre we see from him a ton. That's why it's exciting. Now, at least I don't think it is anyway. There's plenty of intrigue blended into the story, and it certainly makes you wonder, you know, for lack of a better term, what if? I will say, though, that for my money, Andrea Sorrentino is perfect as the artist for the story, kind of bringing out the time period and also for the depth needed for the background art, which really, really helps enhance the story because it's not just about the characters, too. Sometimes it's about the setting, and especially when you kind of get, we kind of get those little teases about what's happened to these primates and what's really going on here. You pay attention to the background. It's important. So don't discount that when you're reading this book. I really can't wait to see where this story goes because it's it's an alternate world type of story. And I think that the way that it was set up was just brilliantly, brilliantly done. And this Dr. Pembroke, Pembroke character is really, really neat too. I really, really like him. So Primordial number 1 from Image Comics. Give it a shot. I think you'll really, really be happy that you did. If you're watching Titans on HBO Max, here's something you might like. Titans United 
number one from DC Comics. Kevan Scott writing this one. Jose Luis doing the pencils. Jonas Trinidad, or Trindade, excuse me, doing the inks here. Rex Locus doing the colors. And Carlos M. Mangual doing the letters. Jamal Campbell on the colors. I mean, excuse me, on the cover. Now, the Titans kind of find themselves, and again, spoilers here, up against a villain. I say that I say villain. When you read the story, the guy's not necessarily a villain. He just it just sort of sparks in him, and he can mimic the powers of those around him, which is which is something I always thought would be a really interesting power to have. Now the thing is, though, he doesn't seem to be doing it on purpose. And again, that's why I have a hard time calling him a villain. Biggest spoiler I'm going to give you in this book is that the Titans don't don't save him. But Connor actually does end up taking him away from the city and everybody's safe. And that leads to a very intriguing part of the story for Connor as well and what happens to him even before he makes this bold move. Now, as the Titans kind of recover from this battle, you know, the search for answers obviously going to get started. But they get another call about a very unusual battle that's happening in D.C. And surprisingly, they need help with who exactly? Can you say hell yeah? If you get that reference, you know who I'm talking about. So this is kind of a, it's hard to peg where the story is going to go other than there's these strange powers that just seem to be popping up out of nowhere. This book really had that classic Titans team up vibe to it though, which I really, really dug. We also have the Red Hood being his hot-headed and prickish self, which I'm glad to see is kind of back in at least one comic anyway. The tension though with Connor really worked for me in this book between Red Hood and Connor Kent. I thought that was really, really neat and to kind of add that into things and kind of add to what Connor's going through, too. The art, man, is just stellar in this book, especially when juggling all these powers during the battle and things like that early on. Really, really good. Also, any book with Raven in it, you have to have good artists and a good colorist, and I think that that gets knocked out of the park here. I mean, it's really hard to go wrong with big action and an intriguing premise. And Titans United number one has that in spades for sure. Go ahead and give this one a shot at your local comic book shop as well. That's going to do it for what we're reading up next. Yes, it's another big week for trailers. Another big week for some nerd news. We'll dive right into it. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, I'm Trey Romano from DC's Stargirl, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's beginning to look a lot like Hawkeye everywhere you go when it's time for nerd news. And that's right. The reason I was singing in holiday style is because Marvel Studios Hawkeye Disney Plus series is coming and it's going to be set during the holidays. Can I just say I'm oddly excited about this. I don't know why, though. I don't know why this being a I don't want to call it a Christmas show because it's not going to be right. But set during Christmas is enough for me. It just gives it a... First of all, I was totally taken off guard and surprised by it, which was really, really nice. Second of all, just seeing, you know, hearing the music and seeing the snow and then the Christmas trees and stuff like that. I don't know. It just adds a different... I, I don't want to say a light, maybe a lighter, more comedic vibe. Maybe that's exactly what I didn't expect out of this series either. But one of the things that you see... In the first trailer is not just the great chemistry between Jeremy Renner and Haley Steinfeld, which is clearly there 
with Clint and, and Clint Barton and Kate Bishop. I think that that's going to be a really interesting kind of mentor student type relationship, especially since, you know, Clint sees Ronan on the t- on the TV, right? And he's like, hold on a second. That's not, first of all, that's not me. Second of all, I thought I left that behind. What's going on? And then that's when everything sort of starts. And, you know, he obviously, Clint does want to spend more time with his family. I think if you didn't, know that after Endgame and everything that happened, then obviously now you do. And what better way to be able to do that than to be able to pass on the mantle? Because Clint Barton, at the end of the day, as much as we've made fun of Hawkeye in the past, especially, you know, I certainly have, he's still a hero. And he's done a lot to help the team over the, you know, in in that first three phases of the Marvel Universe. There's no doubt about that. And he's a guy that just doesn't want to walk away. He wants to walk away, but he doesn't. He wants somebody to, to leave his legacy behind to that he thinks can carry the mantle at least somewhat. And that's when Kate Bishop comes in. Now, what he sees in her and what makes him decide to have her be that right person is very, very interesting, especially since we're talking about a young girl here and a guy in Clint Barton who has a daughter. And maybe there's some issues there. Are we going to see a little bit of hesitation for him to want to pass along? This mantle, I'd be very interested to see how much that's a part of the season. I, I really hope that nothing happens to his family, though, because I, I, in the back of my head, I'm worried that that's the case because we see it, you know, push so much about how much he wants to be to his family in this first trailer, especially around Christmas time. I just worry. I'm, I'm just, I don't think that they'll gut punch us like that. But it's not like Marvel has hasn't done it before. So I'm, I'm, yes, I'm a little leery. But I'm just stupid excited for the fact that Hawkeye is going to be set during Christmas time. And, of course, it's going to be premiering on Disney Plus on November the 24th. I'm looking forward to this more now than I was before. I mean, of course, I was looking forward to it anyway. Now I really am. And I don't know if that's stupid to say just because of the whole Christmas aspect. But, man, did that catch me off guard. And that really, really, I think, adds to my excitement for this thing. I'm already excited for season two of Lock and Key on Netflix. After the, That first season was one of the best first seasons that I've seen on a Netflix series. And I don't even at me on that because you know it's true if you watched it and you loved it. So then you see this teaser for season two, right? And the only thing I can, the only thing I can think about after watching it is, hold on a second, we can make keys? We can just make keys. You see Dodge, and I'm going to say Dodge. You can you can call this character whatever you want. It's freaking Dodge, okay? So you see Dodge forging a new key. I, and again, no spoilers from the comics or anything like that. Not going to do that to you, okay? But you see this new key, and you're wondering what it is. And you already know how dangerous the other key is anyway. But if she can start making keys, then that's a problem. That is a huge, huge problem that I'm not sure the Locke family is ready for. How do you combat that? Especially since now, remember, they think it's over. Remember that from the end of last season. They think that this is done. They think that they sent Dodge through with the Omega, you know, using the Omega key and everything's fine and dandy now. The only thing that, you you know, they, they did lose a friend in the process, but at the same time, they think that, you know, everything is pretty much over. And now they just have to figure out the mystery of these keys in the house. No, 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 far from over. You just don't know it yet. 
So that, of course, you're already looking forward to that. Now seeing this new mystery key, I, I am. I, I, it's like I need to know now. You need to tell me more. It needs to be now, and I need it to be October the 22nd so I could see this thing. That's when season two of Lock and Key returns on Netflix. Speaking of Netflix, and there's a lot of Netflix news this week, actually. Remember Bright, that live-action movie with Will Smith, and he was a cop, and there was an orc who was also a cop, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but actually Bright is going to continue with another movie. This time we're going way back, though, with Bright Samurai Soul, and this time it's going to be an anime. It'll be out on October the 12th on Netflix. It's set in the same universe as the live-action Bright movie, but honestly... There isn't even so much of a hint in this trailer to that other movie because we're talking about the Shogunate time in Japan, and this is kind of a transitional period to the rise of the Meiji era, and I really hope that I'm saying that right. I apologize, and I'll clean that up when I talk about this show again if that is not the case. And it's basically a story of a journey that involves three characters, one of them being an orc, as a matter of fact, because you know it just makes sense given the fact that that's part of the story. And the orc's name is Raiden. And basically, he's attempting to kind of unburden himself, redeem himself maybe a better way to describe it. He was a thief, and now, you know, again, trying to just be a better orc. Let's just, let's just leave it at that, be a better orc. And the vo- character going to be voiced by Fred Mancuso. Now, there's also Ronan involved here, played by Simu Liu, by the way. This is in the English dub, too, by the way. There's a Japanese dub of this as well. And this all kind of centers around the protection of this young elf girl named Sonia, who's voiced by Yuzu Harada. Now, there's this wand that she's carrying. And you, you see it in the trailer, it's like the, if a possessor of the light holds this wand, then it will bathe the world in light. If someone from the darkness in, is involved in holding this thing, it will bathe the world in darkness. And yes, the bad guys, and I simplify that, want to use this to awaken the Dark Lord and, yes, cover the world in darkness. And the baddies here I'm referring to are the Inferni. And, again, we don't know a ton about them just based on this trailer. But this is going to be one of those. It's almost, it, it, it has like a, a semi-Lord of the Rings vibe, except this time it's an elf that's trying to deliver a wand to the elves to save the world, flanked by an orc and a human who don't really get along. And again, sounds very familiar, right? And I would never compare this directly to Lord of the Rings because I don't think that's fair. You know, you can't compare something like this to a classic like Lord of the Rings. But that is, you know, kind of where I think they're going with this in a somewhat backwards way. And I I just, the, the animation style to me is very, very interesting. It actually is... Kind of, and it's described by Netflix as a fusion of Japanese woodblock print art with 3D CG technology. It's a very, very interesting look. I can't decide if I like it yet or not. But I also don't think it's fair to judge it just based on one trailer either. I will say in true anime style, though, there's, a, there's some amazing pops of color when you watch this trailer. So I think that that's going to be really, really key to this. I, I mean, it'll be interesting. Arct is doing the animation. For this, I think that this one has a chance to be good. I certainly think it has a chance to be better than its live-action counterpart. And I really think that this is the kind of thing that Bright should have been from the get-go. I think trying to do that live-action movie didn't really make a whole lot of sense when it was all said and done. This seems like it's going to be more 
in the wheelhouse. So I'm kind of cautiously optimistic about this adaptation of Bright, which is going to be coming to Netflix on October the 12th. Got to stay with Netflix a lot because there was some big news dropped this week, and that is a big update on the Tomb Raider anime series that's going to be released. The voice of Lara Croft is going to be Haley Atwell. That's right, Agent Carter to Captain Carter to Lara Croft. It is good to be Haley Atwell right now, and so many fans love her, not just for Agent Carter, but just in general, right? So this is a great choice by Netflix, and I think that she'll definitely sound the part, no doubt. And remember, this this anime is going to pick up right after the reboot trilogy from the video games left off. So this is the continuation of that story. So yes, we are going to get a little bit of an older Lara Croft here as well. So if you're worried about the age difference now, again, Lara's not going to be that much older, but at the same time, there's going to be, there's, there's got to be a little bit more maturity to the character. And I think that Haley Atwell certainly adds that as well. Plus she's just got this way about her. And you find, and you hear that in Marvel's what if series that she was just in with Captain Carter. She can be fun, but she's also got that badassery about her, right? That just draws you right in. So that's why I think she's really, I think, can tackle all of the angles of a character like Lara Croft. You know, all the things that she's been through. But there's also, you know, a little bit of a uh, wisecracking and snarkiness to Lara as things go on, right, too. So I think that, again, if you weren't already hyped for a Tomb Raider anime series... I think this just triples that hype now. I, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. I don't think I am. Haley Atwell joining this series. Big time move for Netflix. This one came out of left field the other day. And it's so exciting because Grendel is coming to Netflix as well. This time though, a live action version of Grendel. Yes, the Matt, the Matt Wagner series from Dark Horse Comics is going to get a live action adaptation. On Netflix. Now, if you're not familiar with the story of Grendel, it actually follows a character who is, at, at first, this character is a hero, you know, beating up the bad guys and things like that, and then sort of realizes, you know, why am I doing this when I could actually join the bad guys? So, and, and that is a twist that you absolutely don't see very often and hunters hunter rose is the name of the character that is grendel under the mask anyway and one of the cool things is that this character is a fencer so it's an assassin that's also a fencer oh by the way also a writer too by the way yes there is an avenging the death of your love type thing here and i know that that's a trope but trust me that is not a trope in this story and when you're talking about the new york criminal underworld being a mixed into this as well I think that that's really, really cool. Plus, you got a good showrunner, too. Andrew Dabb, who was with Resident Evil and Supernatural, going to be running this for for Netflix. And I think that that's really, really cool. We know who's going to be playing Hunter Rose as well. That's Abubakar Ali, who is in Power Book 2, Ghost, also Katie Keene, some other things as well. More of the cast can be found. You can look that up at downandnerdypodcast.com. So it's another one of those. It's a superhero story, but it's not sort of things, right? Almost like, you know how I've been begging for somebody to adapt the shadow? 
This is kind of very Shadow-esque. If you're a fan of the Shadow, I think you'll like Grendel a lot. Not totally similar, and certainly, you know, vibe-wise, maybe a little bit different. But that is something I can like it too. Like you're thinking, okay, I, I, what, what would I, if I like what, what, you know, would I like this? And that is one of the ones that just pops into my head. And Matt, Matt Wagner also has experience drawing and writing the shadow too. So it kind of, you know, sort of works out there as well. But yeah, Grendel coming to Netflix, sign me up for that all freaking day long. I cannot wait. Here's something I'm actually kind of surprised didn't go to Netflix. And this was first reported by Variety. And that is that a She-Ra live action series is going to be coming to Amazon Prime Video. All the He-Man stuff and She-Ra stuff that Netflix has done. And this one goes to Prime Video, which I think is interesting. But maybe and maybe there's a reason for that, though. Now, this will not be connected to the animated reboot series and will be a standalone story about Adora. So... That's probably the reason for the change of venue, so to speak, right? So Netflix has this very popular animated series for She-Ra and the Princess of Power that drew quite a uh, fan base, and the re and, and this live action series not going to be based off of that at all. I mean, there's still going to be an evil horde. There's still going to be Hordak, probably. Nothing's confirmed at this point, but that's you know that's She-Ra's story, so it's likely the direction that they're going to go. But at the same time, you put this on Netflix, which which on one hand might make sense, and on the other hand, you go, okay, so how can you have both of these existing in the same space? And I know what you're going to say, James, they have already got two He-Man series that are different living on Netflix, but that's a little different. They're animated, first of all. Second of all, they haven't built the following that She-Ra and the Princess of Power has on Netflix. That show is hugely popular. For a lot of different reasons. The the first of which being that it was a good show. So you put this on there. There's ultimately going to be exp- expectations from people that it's going to be the same. Or that the themes of the story are going to be the same. And that's not necessarily going to be the case. So if you're going to do a live action series. You're going to make it different from the animated series. You've got to put it somewhere else. And you know Amazon Prime Video. If you just want a good She-Ra series. Amazon Prime Video is a good home. They'll do right by that. So I'm very, very excited to see how that's going to work out. And Amazon is not afraid to take big... Neither is Netflix, by the way. But Amazon's certainly not afraid to take on big budget shows. If Lord of the Rings and some of the other series that they, that they have didn't prove that, I don't know what will. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to my amazing guests for joining me this week. Also, follow along with us on social media at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and on Instagram and at Down and Nerdy on Facebook. Find us online too at downandnerdypodcast.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.